The following is not medical advice, nor is it mental health advice. The following is for educational purposes only. If you have any kind of mental health or medical concerns, please consult your own primary care physician or therapist because this is only for fun, not advice. Nothing in the Malt House Games podcast should replace medical advice or mental health advice by a trained professional. Goodbye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 154, otherwise known as the 1st of October. We get three spooky episodes this year, my friends. We do get three spooky episodes this year. I am so excited. That is my favorite intro that we have. And for today's episode, to welcome in the spooky October month, we are first going to have to say goodbye to the hot girl summer and have one last summer beer before we crack open our first pumpkin ale of the season. What do we have first, Delty Poo? That looks like a cranberry milkshake. So up first today, as Haley said, saying a goodbye to the summer, we have Mahalo, a sour ale with guava, pineapple, and hibiscus flavor. Or sorry, hibiscus flower. This is from Prairie Artisan Ales, who we love and have talked about a lot in Oklahoma City. And this was a gift from Jim Wynn and Cody for us to have on the podcast. So thank you, Jim Wynn and Cody. Yes, it was. Uh, We are very excited to try it. It is only 5% alcohol by volume, which is a lot different than the past few beers. Uh, There's no other taste profile or anything else on the can. But there is a pterodactyl. There's a butterfly. There is a pterodactyl carrying a Hawaiian shirt away from a volcano. As he should, as God intended. there's a lobster playing guitar. Look at that. Is that a rock lobster? It probably is a rock lobster. Heck yeah. Nice. Uh, But yes, it's uh, a very pretty goofy looking can, but the beer itself is... It's a cranberry milkshake looking thing. Yeah, it's like a thick, fruity... If you you just imagine blended strawberry shakes and thin it out, that's what this looks like. Absolutely. It looks beautiful. Smells delicious. Let's give her a try. It smells so tart. I feel that in my inner ear cavity. It hit you way harder than me, but it has a lot of tartness, but... It does the right thing, which is the tartness doesn't come with a lot of excess sweet. I feel like this summer we had a lot of IPAs, a lot of sours, maybe not even necessarily on the podcast, but just in general, whenever we had beers. And I'm to the point where I'm kind of feeling burnt out on sours. This is very good, but I think it's perfect time because we're getting to the point where all the pumpkins starting to come in. So I think my taste buds are going along with the season. This is a really good beer. This is an extremely delicious guava magical beer. I am ready for that pumpkin ale here in the next 30 minutes. There's a little hint of pineapple, but it's mostly that guava and maybe a teensy aftertaste of the hibiscus. But that's a really good, solid sour. Uh, We had a lot of sours. I enjoy sours. They are hot weather. We have been getting 90 degree weather the past week, and my car sitting in the shade keeps saying 100 to 105. Not the shade, in the sun. However, next week is going to be rainy, and in the 70s, and I think we're finally on the downturn for the season, I hope. You mean we're on our way to Halloween? We are, thank goodness, our favorite holiday of the year, I think. I think so. I've already bought five pumpkins because Aldi has them for three forty nine, dollars And only one has started to soften and rotten, so we're, we're doing okay. I feel much better about a three forty nine dollars Aldi pumpkin rotten than one of the $7 Walmart ones. 
it's incredible how expensive they are. It's absolutely incredible. Even the Aldi ones used to be $2 a pumpkin. Now they're, again, three forty I'm probably going to buy about five more before the week's all said and done. But I'm just really excited. We In the Twyman Brack household, the bat wreath goes up September 1st. So technically it's been Halloween for like the last four weeks. But I'm excited for the official launch of the Halloween season. Yes, because on Sunday when this podcast releases, it will be October 1st, which means the beginning of my 31 new-to-me horror movie season. What's on the docket this year? This is the year of sequels. I am notorious for avoiding sequels, especially the more I get into film. But I'm going to be diving into sequels. I've only seen the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake with Jessica Biel, and the new Leatherface. So I'm going to go watch all the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. I'm going to go watch all the Friday the 13th, aside from the first and the remake that had Jared Padalecki from Supernatural. I'm going to watch all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, aside from the original and the remake. And the Screams. I'm going to watch all the Screams, aside from the first, which we can still watch the first. I'm going to do all the Hellraisers, aside from original and remake. And I think that that's it. And in those like five franchises, it's like 40 movies, 44. So that is more than enough content. Thank goodness HBO has all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets. And I will be able to figure out a way or know people or find some form or fashion to get a hold of these movies to watch. But that's my plan this year is watching sequels and going through. Oh, I'm sorry. The other, there was one more uh, franchise, Halloween. Nice. I've seen the first one, the t- two Rob Zombies. And that's it. And so I'm going to go through all of the Halloween movies as well. That is quite a list. I will join you for the screams because I grew up watching the screams. Screams are part of my culture. I will not join you for the other ones, but I wish you best of luck. Come on. You got to watch Texas Chainsaw with me. Incorrect. I feel sad. So I have Texas Chainsaw, the video game. So that way I could play with Tyler and Alan and them. And Tyler didn't like the Texas Chainsaw movie, the original. Oh, no. He was not a fan. And he, he said, why? do you like it so much? <laughs> and I felt want, 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 but he said he felt bad. He didn't want to tell me because he didn't enjoy it. <laughs> and I said, that's okay. I understand. Uh, I was very sad, but I love it. And the video game is very fun. You're just going to have to evict him from the BGG con hotel room now. He's going to have to sleep outside in the hall. Yep. <laughs> that makes sense. But yeah, so it's spooky season, movie season, candy season, Halloween, everything season. And also training season for us. We've been learning lots of new things. I've been learning lots of new things. You have. You're doing a lot of training stuff. Yeah, boy. So I've been taking my radio operators class. I learned how to contact the International Space Station this week, which is going to be fun. Learn how to communicate through satellites. Delton joined me on a trip to go to a mushroom class. What did we learn, Delty Poo? We learned about different mushrooms in Oklahoma that you can harvest, and I had no clue that we had wood ear mushrooms in Oklahoma. I had no idea that we had lion's mane. I have heard we had, but I didn't believe it. I knew we had Hen of the Woods and Chanterelles, but I didn't know we had wood ear. And now that I know we do, and I know what it looks like when it's growing on the tree, we've got to go freaking find some because it's delicious. It looks like an ear that's growing on wood. It's really kind of this gelatinousy looking mushrooms. Very strange. Very tasty. Very tasty. And tomorrow I am joining our friend Cody who gave us this beer. And him and I are going to go get our two-year certification in wilderness first aid as well as regular first aid and CPR and all that fun stuff. So just getting all the trainings right now. I think after this weekend and after I get my radio license, I'll be training out for a bit. But I I just kind of like hit the ground running. It's like after we got back, we got done with CEU season, we got back from vacation. Like I just like hit the ground running with all these like fun and like free classes all around the metro. We're really great. I'm really grateful. We've had a lot of opportunities. But now 
I'm ready just to veg out for the holiday season and probably not take any more trainings for a bit. I can see that. I'm ready to veg out no matter what because, again, spooky season, movie season. This is when I watch so many movies, and I'm ready for it. I'm ready to sit down and enjoy movies every hour of the day for the next, you know, at least starting on uh, Sunday, the next 31 days. But it's fun. But another thing that I think we need to be doing, aside from me also trying to play some horror video games, is we got to play some spooky tabletop and board games because this podcast episode is not about a spooky game, so the next one has to be. It does, and I had the perfect game in mind, which I will not spoil it, but what are we talking about this episode, Delty? Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's... It's a game. So the game for games, actually, for this episode are the two Next Station games from Blue Orange. We have Next Station London and Next Station Tokyo. Both of these are published by Blue Orange. Both of these are eight and older, one to four players, 25 minutes. I'm finding more 30 minutes. Uh, The games are both designed by Matthew Dunstan. And they're both illustrated by Maxima Morin. So both of these games are, uh, I still like to say roll and write, but flip and fill. You're going to flip a card over and you're going to do something. I got to play Next Station London uh, with Nick and Mark and Jennifer whenever we were in Portland. It was very late. I had dozed off through most of the rules teach, but I caught on very quickly. And I really liked it. I knew immediately because Haley was downstairs asleep. Haley's going to love this game. And so I picked up both copies um, because I wanted the different maps. I wanted the London map that I had played, and I wanted to try Tokyo. So both games are identical. They do almost everything the same, except there are minor tweaks between London and Tokyo. The way the game is going to work is between the one to four players, there are solo rules in both, each player is going to have a different color of colored pencil. Now... The way that it works is on your little map you're drawing, you are essentially creating a metro system, hence the name Next Station. You're going to be creating a metro system, an underground system, train system, whatever you want to say, and you're going to have a certain color of colored pencil. So let's say I have the pink pencil and Haley has the blue pencil, which is, I believe, how we started this last game. It's essentially a game where everyone goes simultaneously. So one person flips over a card from a deck, the deck has two different colors of cards. All of them are identical symbols except for one, which is an, an extra. And that card will have some sort of symbol that corresponds to a station on your little personal player paper that you're marking. There are different shapes, triangles, circles, squares, and pentagons. Now, you'll flip over that card, and if it's a triangle, everybody will take their colored pencil, and they will start from their specified be- uh, start station, So, for example, the green might be a green triangle uh, on the top right of the map. The blue might be a blue square in the bottom center of the map, and so on. Uh, If we flip over that card and it's a circle, you're going to start wherever your start station is, and you're going to draw a line to a circle station uh, that is connecting it. You are going to do that over and over again for each color throughout the game. So the first round... You'll do one color until the deck either hits the last card or if you draw all five of one of the two different types of cards, because I said there were two colors of cards, uh, when all five of one of the colors comes out, then that's the end of that round. And then you are going to trade pencils. Everyone passes pencils to the left, and you'll do it for a separate color. 
Then at the end of the game, you're going to add up different points from what you've made each round, plus some specifically at the end, and even some bonus if you add in the bonus cards. So the way points work is there are different regions on the board, and this is where Tokyo and London differ. London is going to have 13 regions in a very, very grid-like pattern, all except for the corners of the board that are going to be their own unique thing. And then in Tokyo, it's going to be a more circular pattern with a center, four around it, four around that, and then the four corners. I think still 13. Is that correct? I think so. I'm trying to picture the board right now. It's actually, it is still 13. Yeah. It's a little different in how it's laid out. It's not very grid as the London one is, but I think it is still 13. It's still symmetrical. It's just instead of being strictly gridded, there's a lot of diagonals. It's like they just turned the grid and then added some other shapes. So in terms of that, that's basically the same. So you're going to have on these maps your 13 areas. You're going to be drawing lines between them. Every time you finish a round with a colored pencil where you've drawn all you're going to draw with that pencil, you're going to look at how many of those 13 areas that your pencil, uh, your, I guess, pencil color, your track, your line has gone through. And then in each of those sections, you'll find the one that has the most stations you've stopped at. So the most shapes you've drawn a line to. And then you'll take that number. So let's say in the very center station, I've stopped at four different stations. Very center region, I should say. I've stopped at four different stations and I've went to four total regions, I would take four times four and get 16. Boom, there's my points. Now, in the Tokyo version, there is actually a line that's already drawn on the map that's a center green circular line. And that, it's not actually a circle, but it's essentially a circle. Uh, that line is always there and kind of provides a barrier, but also more chance to score high points. In the London map, you have the Thames running through the map, and every time you cross the Thames, it's going to be worth extra points uh, each time you are calculating the score for each different colored pencil. I hope this is making sense. I feel like I'm no, sounding makes, confusing. I mean, it makes sense to me. I know I've played it before, but I'm, I'm following. That's true. But yeah, so essentially you'll flip it, uh, flip a card over. Everyone will draw to the circle station, the triangle station, a wild station, anything like that. You're going to draw all those. You're going to try to extend, but also fill in areas. You're trying to reach certain goals. Sometimes there's bonus points for different things. You've got all kinds of stuff that you're trying to do, and each of these games is a little separate, but they're mostly the same, which is flipping a card and making your line longer in some manner. But there's something inherently fun about that, which is, I think, something that goes along with flipping fills and rolling rights, is you're taking something very luck-based, you're trying to find the best time to do something, and you're building upon that. And I think it's fun to build and watch. Here's this line, here's this other color line, and then seeing it all done at the end is entertaining. I think it's also fun because you're really building your strategy within constraints. You can't control what color pin you have for that round. You are stuck with a color pin, and if you are playing with the special powers, you're stuck with that power for the round that you can use once. And you're really your, your fate is decided by what card is flipped over so what shape is available and every once in a while you'll get a wild or you'll get a uh what's it called a switch there is a track switch card if you draw it then you draw one more card and it means that you can branch off of your line from any point normally it's only the ends that you can connect to a new station but the one like track switch card allows you to branch off from anywhere yeah, so the constraints really make it a, a fun, lighthearted game, I think. There's not a lot that you're having to take into consideration. You can't really plan that far in advance. You're kind of 
It's up to fate to decide where you can go next. And there have been times whenever Delton and I have, you know, drawn our, our lines in a way where, oh, I hope I, I draw a circle next. I hope it flips a circle because that's the only place I can go. But that's very, very, very rare. But for the most part, you're just letting the cards decide uh, what shape we go to next and you choosing which one of those shapes you go to. Yeah, it's it's not super complicated at all. I highly recommend looking this game up. I want to say retail cost is under 25. I think it's 20 bucks. You can get them online for cheaper, which is I bought them from an online board game store that I use. Like, uh, I think I got them through Boardlandia. But Boardlandia, Game Nerds, Miniature Market, Cool Stuff, which is actually Cool Stuff's moving out of board games completely. They're liquidating stock, so there's basically the dregs left right now if you go look. It's pretty bad. I've been keeping an eye on the sales. They were never anything I needed. But anyway, uh, this game is affordable. It's cute. It's a small form factor. There are a bajillion, exactly one bajillion pieces of paper to play with. Each are both both games. The pages are double-sided, so it's even more areas and more maps for you to play with. They're just really good. It's a nice and simple thing. So I've always really loved Metro X. And Metro X is a very similar thing to this. And Nick even said that Metro X is the wrong number game because you're putting numbers down and marking stations along a train path, a metro path, and the number dictates how many you can mark and sometimes that you need certain numbers and you don't get them. He, he uh, appropriately commented that this was the wrong shape game because you're needing that circle. That's not a circle. You need a circle. That's not a circle. I need a circle. That's not a circle. And then when you finally get your circle, you're like, ah, I gave up on that two time, you know, two cards ago. Uh, it is definitely the wrong shape game. But if you like games where you're drawing little train tracks, uh, connecting stations and doing that kind of fun, puzzly sort of-ness, I think these are really good. If you like flipping fills, rolling rights, you something you can put into a bag very easily. This is easily travelable. And with the deck of cards, you could actually just take one deck of cards and a few sheets from each game. And then if you want the powers, bring the powers. If you don't, leave them. Then you would just need four colored pencils and you could actually buy those pins with four different colors and you could have the easiest travel game ever. My inner eight-year-old would be so happy. Yep, you just have to make sure everybody clicks the right color, but you would need, you know, four of those, a couple sheets from, like, four sheets from each of these and one of the sets of cards and boom, you've got uh, two four-player games in a tiny little, like, pencil holder, basically. Absolutely. That's a great point. So Next Station London, Next Station Tokyo, I like them. If they put out more Next Stations, I'm going to buy them. We're just going to have a set of Next Stations. I'm, they've hooked me in now. But I really like them. Highly recommend checking them out if they sound like something fun for you. I like them because at the end of some days, I just want to play something simple. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. But before we talk about why I want to play something simple at the end of the day, it is time to transition to fall. This is the ceremonial changing of the beer. We go from our summer sour to our Oktoberfest. Ja, meine Freundin, jetzt es ist Zeit zu feiern. Es ist Oktoberfest. It is time to celebrate. It is Oktoberfest. If you all did not know, we are smack dab in the middle of Oktoberfest right now. It typically runs between, I believe, September 16th to October 16th. Is that right? Around that time? It's that 30-day period? Sure. We're smack dab in the middle, so I thought this would be appropriate to pick up the Coop Oktoberfest Ale. Slightly more alcohol than our last one, but what are the deets, Delty? 
Coop Oktoberfest. 12 flute ounce can. IBU is 20. Alcohol by volume is a 5.6% with an SRM, still don't know what that means, of a 16. This says, taking a step away from our namesake, once a year we craft a lager worthy of extra days in the cellar. The, the Coop Oktoberfest combines Munich malt, Bavarian hops, and a traditional German yeast and calls for the celebration of fall's arrival. It's time to find a tent, fill your stein, Prost, Yodel, and Polka. There Lass you go. Lass uns trinken. Und Prost. Prost. Zum Wohl. That's an Oktoberfest. That's a really good Oktoberfest, too. It's wow. A, it's a ger- like, if you've ever had a German beer, you can taste it. You mm-hmm. can tell that's a German beer. That's a very uh, rich German beer. This is a, a, little, a little heftier than some of your other Oktoberfests. Yes, it At really least, is. Uh, compared to that Sam Adams that somebody gave us that was not great. It was a Sam Adams, and it was an Oktoberfest. Do with that what you will. I mean, I drank it. Was it was beer. I drank it. It was, it was free. free. I'll take it. <laughs> the only beer we haven't drank that has been free is that Michelob. We have like a 12-pack of Michelob in our fridge that's lived there for the last yep. three months. That's because it's fizzy water, but not the fun fizzy water. I'd rather have a Topo Chico. We should give that as trick-or-treat gifts to the parents of the kids. Trick-or-treat. Uh, Take there, this beer. there might be some legalities there. Uh, okay. Speaking of Never trick-or-treats. Mind. We're not going to do that. Speaking of trick-or-treating, before we get into the topic today, uh, we found out that they're doing Pokemon booster pack trick-or-treat sets at Walmart. I think they're on sale right now for $18, and it has like 25 booster packs. Each has three cards in it. I love that so much, because there was a time that I told Haley, I thought about going to the comic shop and buying a bunch of dollar comics of just X-Men, Spider-Man, Superman, whatever, and just giving comics out to kids along with candy just to give them something extra that's, I mean, honestly, we could go buy comic books and spend less than we do on candy because the candy's so damn expensive for Halloween. But anyway, thought that was cool. They had a little Pokemon special three-card booster packs just for Halloween, which is great. Which is really great. It was like, 50, was it 50 for 21? I'm I thought sorry. it was 25 packs of three. Oh, I thought it was 50 packs of three. Either, either way, way, it's a it's good fine. deal. Yeah, either way, it's, it's cooler than just candy. And this beer is better than I expected it to be. I don't think we've had this one on the podcast before. I don't think so. It's pretty good. I prefer the Mahalo, but that's just because... Oktoberfests for me are okay. I like when they push it to be more pumpkin. Ah, for, yes. For this season anymore. But that's because I drank a lot of German beer when I first started getting into beers. And so now when I drink an Oktoberfest or a German beer, I'm like, yeah, that's a German beer. But I'm so used to the ridiculously cranked IPAs or stouts or porters or strange flavors that it's really, this is a very good beer. It's just also a very, like, expected, See, you know? in fall, I turn into a basic broad. I am a basic broad when it comes to fall. I will oh, wear my flannel. Sure. I pick up all the pumpkins. You put on those Uggs. I do not have the Uggs. I've not gone that far. But I do put on my tall boots and my skinny jeans. You'll pry my skinny jeans from my cold, dead hands. And I also like my pumpkin and my Oktoberfest beer. It is basic. Yes, I know. It is to be expected. Yes, I know. But you know what? I enjoy it. I love it. And that's just fine. You know what I also love? What? This game, because it doesn't have me make a lot of decisions when I'm tired. So, to move closer into the topic, actually, uh, which even picking this beer out was probably one, we wanted to talk about the very, very real everyday life, not just board games, but board games do come into play, topic of decision fatigue. Decision fatigue. It is the case whenever, at the end of the day, you don't have a lot of juice left in your brain in order to make decisions, and so it makes it more challenging to make decisions. And so I thought we could talk about the reason why we develop decision fatigue, what it is, what happens in the brain, and how it affects us in playing board games. 
So the reason we wanted to pick decision fatigue, which I think this was your idea because I had decision fatigue, uh, is because in the next station games, Tokyo and London, both their decision spaces in the game are small. You're going to flip a card and you look at one side and say, it's a triangle. I've got two. You look at the other side and say, I've got one. You pick where you go. That's your decision. It's very small. It's not difficult to make generally. There's very little calculation upon, like based on, okay, well, what could be coming up? Because I can see that the other triangle's gone and both circles are gone. So then I have to do, you could do stuff like that. But in the end, it's this game is full of a bunch of small decisions. Every, every turn, every card, small decision, small decision, small decision that go all the way through until the end. But we were talking about how those small decisions, small decisions, small decision over the course of a longer period of time or multiple games is exhausting. Absolutely. So I'll talk, kind of talk a little bit about what decision fatigue is and in the brain. That's okay. Yep. So decision fatigue, uh, one of the you know most well-known researchers on decision fatigue is a guy named Dr. Roy Baumeister. And so we actually had him come speak for us at one of our presentations a few years ago. He's a fascinating guy. But he did a lot of research and is still doing a lot of research on the science behind decisions and decision fatigue and willpower. And so what happens is, so, you know, we all, we all have a brain. I assume we all have a brain. And we have different parts of the brain. So I think I've talked a lot about, like, the amygdala, the emotion part of the brain, the hippocampus, memory part of the brain, and the prefrontal cortex, which is the decision-making, personality, thinking part of the brain. So the prefrontal cortex kind of sits at the front of your brain, is, is behind your forehead, and that is responsible for your decision-making, your personality, any kind of thoughts that you have. And so the thing is with our brain, our brain runs off of glucose. And so research suggests that our, our brain eats about uh, 60% of the carbohydrates that we take in. And so of all the carbohydrates that we take in, our brain eats about 60% of them. It eats it in the form of glucose. And so whenever we sleep, that's whenever most of the glucose is restored in our brain, as well as we can get kind of boosts of glucose throughout the day whenever we eat. But the thing is with our brain, if, our, if we have a section of our brain that's depleted in glucose, so let's say that, you know, you have, you took a big test that day, and at the end of the day, you're just like completely, like your brain is tired. Like maybe you still have energy, but you're like, dude, I can't make a single decision. I cannot, you know, do a simple two plus two math problem. That's because you have used all of your glucose in your prefrontal cortex, and so it makes it more challenging to make a decision. And so uh, that being said, it, it's, it's also, at the end of the day, you can think of it too, uh, also as well, because that decision part of our brain is also responsible for like emotional regulation, things like that. That also kind of explains why at the end of the day, we're more likely to be irritable. Because the thinking part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, helps to regulate the emotion part of our brain. And so if we spent all day dealing at, let's say, customer service. If I spent all day dealing with customers, regulating my emotions whenever I'm dealing with some angry customers, at the end of the day, I'm not going to have enough emotional regulation left in my prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of my brain. Because it's not like whenever you use up all the glucose in your thinking part of the brain, it steals from the amygdala or steals from the hippocampus. No, if you are out for the day in that area, you are out. You have to replenish by eating or by sleeping. And so that being said, like I talked to Dalton a lot about playing games and I love to play games, but throughout the day in, in my job and in most jobs really, but you know, just speaking from experience in my job, I have to make a lot of decisions. I have to regulate my facial features. I have to regulate my, you know, what I say. I have to think about, okay, what's this client going to need? So on and so forth. I'm making a lot of decisions throughout the day. So by the end of the day, 
I have no juice left in my prefrontal cortex. I have no juice left to regulate my emotions. I have no juice left to make another decision. That's also why I like to pre-plan my dinners on Sundays because some nights I get off work and I don't even have enough in me to choose what we're going to have for dinner tonight. And so that's why I like games like uh, Next Station because all that's expected of me is make these itty-bitty tiny little decisions. Uh, there was one night where you know, I got off work and Delton wanted to play the Lord of the Rings game. It ended up being a six-hour affair. I, <laughs> I was shot. That, for me, like, uh, the game's fun, but it was not the most pleasant experience for me because I didn't have enough juice in my brain to be able to make a, a decision. What are you looking at, Delton? You can't complain w- playing War of the Rings 2nd Edition when you still won. I'm so tired. My brain's out of juice. Oh, I won. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. But... I really think that this next station game is the perfect decision fatigue brain because yes, there are decisions to make in all board games you play. There's going to be decisions to make unless you're just playing a 100% Ameritrash game where you're just based off of luck or whatever. But even then, like there's still some decisions that you have to make. And so with these games, it's yes, there are decisions, but they're very small decisions. And so I feel like this is a game that really doesn't have a lot of consequential decisions that you make. And it's really fun. It's still really engaging. Like I feel like a lot of the times whenever... Uh, fate kind of decides your your path in the game, like in Ameritrash games, then it's not really as engaging. But this one, you still make the decisions. It's still engaging, but it doesn't tax you as much as other games. And that is really nice because, yes, I want to play big games all the time, right? I've got a freaking... If you look at my to-be-played shelf, I'm going to look real quick. My to-be-played shelf, in general, are heavy games. And that's because those heavy games require decision space. They require the time to learn them, the time to teach them, to the time to play them, and the energy of Haley after a day of work to be able to sit and comfortably, enjoyably play the game. Not that she couldn't do it, but if she wants it to be enjoyable, I can't break down, you know, uh, Teotihuacan and say, Haley, let's play this. It's a Tuesday night. You just had an eight-hour day. I had an eight-hour day. Let's go. It's going to be easy. No, it's not. That's going to be hard as shit. We're going to be exhausted, get grumpy, and then we're going to be like, I'm frustrated. And that's going to be our, our evening. Absolutely will. But something like Next Station cuts a lot of that out, right? It's very simple to sit down. It's, you know, Next Station takes 30 minutes. 30 minutes and we're done. And it's small decision spaces, small outcomes of those decisions. The penalty for an incorrectly calculated decision based off of the chances of the shape you need, whatever, it's, oh, I can't draw anything. Okay. And then you move on and you just, there's nothing you can do, but that's it. And it's not absolutely soul crushing because it's not the type of game. It's not Calico where if you miss one thing when you're planning perfectly and it's probably going to be something you've missed that it just kills it. So games like this are great for those times because it's just, it's, it's relaxing. It's easy. The decision space is small. And then, the, like I said, the, the outcome of those decisions is also small. And I think that's a big thing that's missed a lot when it comes to decisions in games. Um, not only decision fatigue, but in general is people don't, they don't think about when someone says, hey, I'm really tired, not super in the mood for the game. It's like, no, this one's easy. All you have to do is this. But when the outcome of a decision is really valuable, that makes that decision harder than it really should seems to be does that make sense oh absolutely because you're having to weigh a Mm -hmm. lot of different factors in this game you have to make a decision but it's like okay do i go to this triangle or this triangle i have two options 
Right. And then if I go to this triangle, it really doesn't make too much of a difference if I have to go to this triangle the next time or whatever my options are. Like the decisions lead to decisions in future rounds, but it's not as consequential as other games. And so you're not having to weigh as much pros and cons before you make that decision. Yes, which means the decision is simpler, which helps when you have decision fatigue. It's one, of the, it's one of the reasons that when you play big game days, you've got filler games, as we call them, between the big ones. You play something like Ark Nova that we've you know, been really enjoying, at least I've been super enjoying. Uh, we play something like Ark Nova, and our brain's burning by the end of it. We've made all this decision space, and then I'm like, you know what? Let's play Strike for a round or two, because Strike is just throwing dice in a bowl. My decision, do I want to play a die? Yes or no? Eh, we'll see. That's it. My outcome, whoopty frickin' do. I didn't get a pair. Like, it's easy to jump into something that doesn't have the outcome, which means the decision doesn't have as much heft behind it, which means the decision itself is easier to make. We have high decision fatigue. You don't have a lot of juice left in that prefrontal cortex. It also makes it more likely that you have poor impulse control. That's you every day. The more you know. Yeah, that's how it is. But I think, you know, this kind of explains why I typically want to fall back on games that we've played before when it comes to like weeknight games because Delton has a to be played shelf and he wants to play new games and that's awesome and I do too but you know we've had this conversation sometimes I just want to play like the old classics and a big part of that is if I'm tired at the end of the evening I know I don't have a lot of brain juice left I don't want to spend the limited resources I have to learn something new I'd rather just put something on the table that I already know and use that brain juice for those you know decisions with the game that I already know. Maybe if you put more wrinkles in your brain and you weren't so smooth brain. I'm taking so many classes. Just kidding, I took a me. mushroom class. I took a, a wilderness survival class. I'm taking that this weekend. And also my radio class. I'm going to talk to the astronauts about how you're talking to me. That's fine. They can't do anything. They're way far away. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. There's the, That is something about, too, even a game that has big decision spaces, if you know how to play the game and your decision isn't, like, uh, there's so many things to be said here, I feel like, but I'm going to, I'll say this one and then I won't rant any longer. Uh, playing a game you already know, your decisions are strictly you saying, okay, I want this because of this outcome versus playing a game you don't know, which is I want this because of I think this outcome or is it that outcome? What is the outcome again? And it's just so much more to pile on because you don't know for sure in Agricola, I put this guy on some wood. Hey, I'm going to get some wood. Great. Yeah. In this other game, I'm going to put a guy here. What does that do again? That does this. Well, what does that mean? Well, that does this. Well, suddenly that decision means so much more because you're un- not used to it. You're unfamiliar that it makes it feel like a bigger decision than it really is. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, because you're having to make a decision while you're building a mental map of how this game works. I like that mental map. I like mental maps. Yeah. And so I feel like for me personally, as someone who is prone to decision fatigue after long days, that something like this, something like Next Station is a really great game to play. It's simple, low consequence decisions, easy decisions to make, and still a really good engaging game. And in our usual fashion, yes, it says eight and older. And I think for the full rules, eight and older is correct. However, you could dumb it down a little and probably play six or seven, maybe even five, of just draw it to a circle and include younger family members. Seconded. So here's the real question. When we're playing a game like this and we get decision fatigue and we're just exhausted during a game day, what snacks do we need to eat? And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Bite Size Question. 
I think that's a good point, Delty Poo. The following that I am about to say is not medical advice, nor should it be taken as medical advice. You should consult your doctor or your therapist or your mother for specific medical advice. But the research does suggest that in order to replenish our glucose, something that we can do is sleep, and another thing we can do is have a snack. Therefore, we're more likely to want to crave, as you were saying earlier, Delt, we're more likely to crave like those carby snacks whenever we're playing games. And so that being said, what is your favorite game day snack? I will say Haley, as a medical professional, is not giving you medical advice. Me, as not a medical professional, I'm giving you medical advice. You got to eat a whole ass bag of the sweet chili spice Doritos. (laughs) That is my direct recommendation for your health and betterment of your gaming scores. I I, I like that recommendation. What about you? What about your non-recommendation recommendation? Oh, man, for me, I like hummus and carrots. Hummus and carrots are great. That is a solid one because it's actually something filling that's not going to make your stomach hurt. And also pair it with a Dr. Pepper. So make my stomach hurt that way. There you go. I literally did eat an entire bag of those sweet chili spice Doritos the other day. Haley brought them home and I was like, I'm snacky. Nom, nom, nom. Look at this. We've been playing games. Nom, nom, nom. I'm kind of hungry. I didn't have lunch. Nom, nom, nom. Bag gone. That was, did not feel good the next day, but it was fine. But yes, hummus and carrots are great. Absolutely. So hummus and carrots. And Dr. Pepper, for me, that is something that helps me to feel a little energized whenever I've had a long game day. So it's a staple on our table whenever we have our buddies over. It is. And speaking of those buddies, I'm going to give a big thank you shout out to Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff for supporting us on Patreon at the level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. You can be like them or like our other amazing patrons by going to patreon.com slash malthousegames, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S games, and checking us out. You can also find us on social media at Malthouse Games. You can send an email to contact at malthousegames.com. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. And I'm more active on Instagram nowadays than Twitter. That is at Squirrely Geek. Yes, uh, Twitter has kind of just fallen away now that everyone's tired of Musk, I think. Uh, and nothing else seems to be worth digging into. So Instagram's pretty... I wouldn't say I'm active, but I will respond to messages there. As well as Facebook Messenger, I keep active, so that's a good one. But anyway, uh, yes, hopefully you enjoyed the episode today, episode 154. I think I've already covered everything else, but that's going to wrap this all up. We need dinner. I'm freaking hungry, and I've had beer on an empty stomach. Let's go! So thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games Podcast. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.